Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. I love skiing. To me, it's the most exhilarating part of my life. Cross-country skiing is an activity in which I get to be the most independent I can be as a blind person. So to me, it's just an opportunity to explore as much of who I am as I can. And participating in most sports is not only healthy, but also socially a very good thing to be doing. And today we'll be focusing on skiing. We'll speak with Tim McCorkle, president of the Ski for Light organization, about programs run by the organization in which blind skiers can partner with sighted guides to enjoy the outdoors and make new friends. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Tim McCorkle. To me, being in better condition just allows me to enjoy life at whatever level I want to live it. So... That's why I, you know, try to train and push myself because I want to be able, if there's an opportunity to do something different, whether it's running with somebody or riding a bike, if I can't do it physically, then, then that's an opportunity lost. You know, it's like the old Greeks used to say, sound body, sound mind. It really makes a difference. If you feel physically good, you'll feel mentally good often. Yeah, there. You know, our systems are all connected within us, and um, when one aspect of is a limiting factor, then it plays on your mind, and then you feel even more limited. And as a blind person, it's obvious that I have some limitations that I cannot overcome. That doesn't have to limit everything I do. So, um, just trying to be able to participate when I encounter activities that allow me to participate at a greater level of vigor than I have normally. That's something I really enjoy. And skiing can be a great sport, particularly in the winter when you're shut up and in the house and you really want to get outside. This is a great way of being outside, being active and being with other people, having a lot of fun. And that's what we'll be talking about in the rest of the show. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Let's start by meeting Tim. Hi, my name is Tim McCorkle, and I'm the president of Ski for Light. Most of our listeners and most of your participants, well, half of your participants have visual impairments. Do you? Yes, I have a retinitis pigmentosa, and the stage in which I am right now is I'm totally blind. And is that a full-time position at Ski for Light? We're all volunteer organizations, so uh, it is a full-time position. It's just not – it's uncompensated, <laughs> except for uh, satisfaction of working with a bunch of really great people and then putting on our annual event, which to me is uh, – it's just a fantastic opportunity for blind people to interact with sighted people without a whole lot of barriers caused by our blindness. And so we really do get to experience a sport, cross-country skiing, in a very pure level that is very, to me, it's just rejuvenating every year. But when you're not doing work for Ski for Light, what keeps you going? Ah, uh, I do a lot of uh, training 
because I like to be in shape when we get to the skiing season. Um, I also like tinkering in, with uh, Excel and writing uh, VBA code and macros and, and also learning. I try to learn other programming languages, but I never, I haven't got so very far with them. And right now I'm uh, working my way through a German course on Duolingo. So I'm trying to have another language besides uh, English and Braille. Sounds like fun. Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Underwriting pairs the impact of targeted marketing with the integrity of community goodwill. Learn more by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus item is the Ski for Light program. It's history, what it involves, and what the participants put into it and get out of it. As I mentioned in the introduction, we wanted to speak about Ski for Light and what this program was all about. But I thought maybe you could give us an idea how this concept got started. Well, Ski for Light in the United States is based on a, a program that was started in Norway over uh, 50 years ago. And um, a well-known Norwegian artist was wondering why blind people couldn't participate in skiing like the rest of his countrymen. And so he, he had a connection with the king and it convinced the king that uh, we should, they should uh, work on developing techniques and opportunities for blind Norwegians to ski with other sighted Norwegians. And out of that grew an, or, uh, an event called the Ritterin which is an annual week-long event in, now it's held in Bajestol in Norway. And then it's a, basically a, a sighted guide is paired with a blind skier and they, they ski for the week. So that apparently was in Norway and still is. When did Ski for Light expand to North America? The concept of the Ritterin was brought to the United States by some expatriate Norwegians that were living in the United States back in first Ski for Light event was held in 1975. And they brought it to the United States because they were living here, but they still love skiing. And they saw no reason why Americans couldn't experience the beauty of cross-country skiing and the companionship of doing it with a sighted guy. And so we are coming up on our uh, 46th event. Wow. Hopefully this winter. Now, we actually know the answer to this question because the first we ever learned of Ski for Light was when we were out taking a walk and we passed a statue commemorating Ski for Light and the blind-sighted partnership. But where in the United States did this get started? The first event was held in Colorado, in Frisco, Colorado. That's where the statue is. Yep. We have an annual event called the International Week. And it's been held most often in Colorado, but we try to move it around the United States. So this past winter, we were in Casper, Wyoming. We've been in Alaska three times. Uh, also been to the Midwest skiing at uh, Shanty Creek, which is uh, near Bel Air, Michigan, Minnesota, back east a few times to New York and uh, New Hampshire. So it's a national event with an international cast of characters. We do bring, have people come in from Norway every year. Also this past year, we've had a lot of, had a lot of participants come from England and Scotland and Ireland. So, you know, we, I don't think they have much snow in those countries, but they came in force and they 
bring in a different, a unique character to our character to our event, and it makes it truly international. So I know you do this once a year event, which is a pretty major event. Do you do other events throughout the year also? There are eight regional Ski for Light organizations that are affiliated with the National Ski for Light, but we do not operate those regional groups. But so out here in Washington State, there's Ski for Light Puget Sound, and I'm a member of that, and we ski six times a winter, and then we have a weekend event up in the central part of the, the state. Then there are also organizations in California and Colorado. There's a very active organization, uh, Ski for Light group in Michigan, in the New England area, the Northeast Pennsylvania area. So we are spread across the country, but each of the regional groups runs pretty much independently of the national organization, although we all subscribe to the same philosophy of bringing skiing to blind people for the purpose of you know learning and sharing and experiencing the great outdoors and overcoming our own obstacles as blind people, but also helping folks that aren't blind become more comfortable with the fact that there are blind people amongst them but they can also share their vision with us and we get to share our experiences with them. So that is a common thread throughout the re- all the regional organizations. You know, we've spoken to a number of your regular participants and every one of them talks about what a wonderful experience it was, how great it was interacting with the other people. And pretty much nobody ever mentions the actual skiing, which is what brought everybody together in the first place but they really focus on the interactions. That's a great observation. I think skiing is a vehicle for us, especially as a blind person, is an opportunity for me to get out of my house here in in, in Seattle and go to a place and then be with other people that are blind, but they also be with the sighted guides who are willing to give their time. But I love skiing. To me, it's the most exhilarating part of my life. Cross-country skiing is an activity in which I get to be the most independent I can be as a blind person because I am skiing. I don't have to touch my guide. They're near me. I'm always listening to them. I always feel their presence, but it's me making the decisions on how fast to go generally, how hard to ski or how slow to ski. And if I make if I fall, it's usually my mistake. It's an opportunity for me to really press myself to see, you know, how fit I am, how well I can interpret what my guide is telling me and what the ground and the snow and the terrain is, is conveying to me underneath my skis. So it's a constant puzzle. And then plus, it's just to me, there's something magical about winter and even more magic about mountains. And then when you combine skiing with winter and mountains, it's an escape that I treasure and I live for throughout the year. And my participation in Ski for Light is an opportunity to experience skiing. And then the other thing I like to say is the better I get at skiing, the better my skiing ability is, the less work my guide has to do. And then we get to have more fun. We get to explore if we want to, we get to see how fast we can ski, or we can just sit and talk about everything and nothing. So to me, it's just an opportunity to explore as much of who I am as I can. 
It sounds like you certainly enjoy skiing and have gotten a lot out of it over the years, but I have the impression that skiing isn't one of the first physical activities that a blind person would think about participating in if they wanted to become active. How did you personally get involved in skiing? How did you start? I grew up in, in uh, Juneau, Alaska, which is uh, in Southeast Alaska. And all we have there is mountains and waters and islands that are mountains. Well, so maybe you had no choice. And it also rains a lot in Southeast Alaska. And so winters were just to me, a joy because it got colder. It's not really, it's never really cold in Juneau. It's cool, but compared to other places, it, you know, it's 20 or 30 degrees rather than single digits. So I really enjoyed the outdoors and enjoyed the snow. And I started downhill skiing when I was about in third of, in fourth grade. So about 10 years old. And I had much more sight then. I was, uh, I was wearing glasses, but I could still see pretty well. So I learned the downhill ski first as a young person and downhill skied all the way into my 30s. And I did other sports too, but uh, through my 30s, which was about 15, 20 years ago, that was when I really started feeling the effects of losing my vision through retinitis pigmentosa. And I started limiting my activities. So the first I stopped riding my bike because I couldn't see where people were. And I had accidents. I quit running because I ran into people. I had quit skiing, downhill skiing, because I, it dawned on me the last time I downhill skied that I was a danger, not only to myself, but to other people on the slope because they didn't know I couldn't see them out. Because at that time I had virtually no peripheral vision. So I pretty much gave up skiing for about 15 years. But uh, in 2011, my, my father died, and I went through a period where I felt really sorry for myself. And then I was really out of shape. And then during the summer after he died, I started realizing that my dad would be very upset at me if I gave up my dreams along with him. And so I reached out on the internet. I just did a search for cross-country skiing and blind. And I chose cross-country skiing because it just seemed more doable to me. What a great story, though, to be able to reconnect with a sport that you really enjoyed as a youth and you were almost limited from doing because of the decrease in your vision. Yeah. And that's definitely, it was a reconnection. When I went to my first Ski for Light event, the first day, I, you know, I fumbled trying to get the skis on and I, you know, it's so humbling and humiliating because in my previous life I had been able to glance down look at the skis see where my boot was and click in and off I went well the first day I couldn't figure out where my toe my boot was in relation to the the, the binding and I fumbled and fumbled you know and then the first day I, I fell and fell and fell but gradually throughout the week I remember the feeling uh, the second day I arced through a corner carrying a little bit of speed and I came through in, into it right and out through it right and came out of it with about the same amount of speed and my something in my head just said, ah, I can still do this. This is still possible. I'll bet you that really felt good. Oh, is one of those things where uh, the adrenaline just gives you a jolt and then there are synapses, I believe, you know, connections in the brain that, as you said, they reconnected and then the muscles started, yeah, we know how to do this. It's just a matter of time and effort. Yeah, a little bit of patience and working yep. through it. Yep. You talk about having a sighted guide. 
which is always a great idea if you're going off into the wilderness um, and you can't see. I'm just wondering, do you typically ski with the guide in front or with the guide in back? That's a good question. So the way we ski is on most of the times we're on uh, groom trails. So and then into the trail, the trails are packed down and and they all grooves are, are cut into those trails. And generally at a skipper light event, we have two sets of tracks. And so I prefer to have my guide skiing just a little bit in front of me to the tracks to my left. Of me. The thing about skiing with a guide, every guide is different. So it's always, it tests our communication skills and there's always a little bit of negotiating. But when I'm going kind of fast, I would like that guide just quartering ahead of me so I can hear what they're saying, but I also can hear their skis so I can gauge what the terrain is, especially in a corner. I can gauge the sharpness of the corner from the sound of their skis. Um, and also when they're in front, if they can talk a little bit over their shoulder, the sound will come back to me. Whereas if they're skiing behind me, they really got to yell loud to get the noise carry in front of me. Yeah, it's hard to hear what's happening behind you. Yeah. Well, that obviously you guys have thought about that and have a lot of experience. Pete and I used to cross-country ski together. And when he still had some residual vision, I would just wear something bright that would contrast with the snow and the trees and go in front of him, and he could pretty much follow. And then when his vision failed worse, I would go behind him and yell instructions but the problem is he was faster than me and he'd always get way out front and he, as he was approaching the distance from which he couldn't possibly hear me anymore and I was running out of breath trying to keep up I'd finally just gather whatever breath I had left and yell out yo and he'd know to stop it was like when those remote control planes get a little bit too far away from their controlling uh, hardware and I'd be out of range of her voice and totally clueless as to where to go next. Right. So your approach works, sounds like it would work a whole lot better than either of our approaches. Now we use snowshoes. Well, your approach is common. That's not uncommon for what we experience at Ski for Light. So I think you tried everything that I would have recommended. So do you typically stick with one guide for the week or you switch off every day? At our Ski for Light International Weeks, the guides are assigned for the entire week. It's a really fun process as they work together throughout the week. And the first time, first couple of days, they're just learning each other. And by the end of the week, you know, they develop their own way to communicate on the skis. We have a race at the end of the, at the, end of the week. And the focus of our event is not the race, but in a way, it's an important part of our our event in that it enables us to kind of focus on what we're trying to do on the skis because we have a vibrant social life off the skis. But it's kind of amazing throughout the week as people start getting closer to the race day, there are, there are more folks talking about their strategy how they're going to handle different parts of the course in the race, talking about how they want to navigate around people. So again, we're not a racing organization, but we do have a race, and I think it does serve a purpose. It's always nice to have some kind of goal 
yeah. to aim at in a target. And it does. It's on a, usually it's on our last ski day of the week, and it, it, it caps off the week. How are people matched up with their guides? Is that a random process, or do you get to chat among yourselves early in the week and sit down for dinner and get to know people, or what? We have a, what we call the Guide Skier Matching Committee, and it's made up of both veteran skiers and guides, so both sighted and blind people that have uh, been a part of the organization for a number of years and have a, both guide and skier have skied with a variety of guides, of companions. So, and um, we do our best to take into account what we know about each skier and each guide and match them temperament wise and skiing ability wise. We're not always successful. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, cause I've been on the matching committee for uh, the last few years and it's not easy because uh, we don't know everybody as well as we'd like, but we do our best to match them the best we can and make a good, do it in good faith. And then if we can have to make a change, we try to make a change throughout the week to, to make it work. Because the goal is to create an opportunity for each person to have the best, the best experience they can have. So I assume for first-time participants, you ask them a bunch of questions so you have a chance of pairing them with somebody successful. Yeah, we do uh, gather information from them, and um, uh, we try to gather as much information as we can and then do the best job possible in the matching and then be light on our feet when we need to make changes. You mentioned that many of your events take place in Colorado. I gather the one coming up in the winter of 2021 will also be in Colorado. Can you talk about that event? Yeah, we're planning to be at uh, Snow Mountain Ranch in Granby, Colorado. And if all go, all goes according to plan, we'll be skiing there from January 24th through the 31st. And so I take it if people want to participate in that, they should look on your website and they'll see a description of where you're staying and who's coming and they could just sign up and get ready for a fun week. Yeah, we have uh, information about the event uh, at our site is sfl.org and we haven't opened the application period yet so that usually happens later on in the summer right around august 1st but we do have information about the event things are a little bit uncertain more uncertain than normal due to the pandemic but uh, we are going to plan as if we're going to have the event all at the same time we're going to use the best information we have possible from the uh, various public health experts and make a decision, but we are planning to be in Colorado for uh, the, the last week of January. Well, hopefully that will come to pass. Good luck with that. Yeah. Hopefully there'll be a lot of snow. <laughs> well, there'll be plenty of snow. Yeah. So in light of the pandemic, what kind of special plans are you arranging for your 2021 event? Can't control the virus, but we can control uh, our attitudes and how we approach it. And as I said, Ski for Light, we're planning as though we're going to have the event and we will be up there in the mountains with some nice fast snow and some sunshine and uh, get to be in the Rockies again. <laughs> great. Well, great. Well, we wish you good luck with that. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 
Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about Ski for Light and how to contact them. So remind people again where they can find more information about Ski for Light and perhaps more about their local organizations. We have our, uh, the Ski for Light website is www.sfl.org. And on that, we have various links to the event, which will be, again, the last week of January of 2021. And then we also have links to our regional organizations off of that uh, the Ski for Light site. And do you have a social media presence? Yeah, we are on Facebook and we also are on Twitter. And one of the things we're doing in the pandemic is we are on our uh Facebook page. We're hosting little exercise videos that have been created by our members spread throughout the country. And so there's some interesting little clips about people trying to stay in shape and trying to keep themselves from going, getting too much cabin fever. So it'd be an interesting opportunity for folks to listen to what our members do if they, if they don't have sight, but also for sighted people, they can get a sneak peek at some of our members doing uh, various exercise activities. And if people wanted to connect with you and ask some questions, maybe they're reticent about starting some new activity like skiing, is there a way they can contact you? Yeah, uh, folks can always call me, and but my phone number is 206-522-5850, or they can send me an email at uh, t underscore m-c-c-o-r-c-l-e at comcast.net. And I've watched some of those exercise videos, and they're great. It's whatever you're interested in, there's yoga, there's stretching, there's cardio work, there's strengthening work, and great suggestions for various kinds of exercises you can do to get into shape for the ski season or any other season. And as usual, you can find all of the contact information that you just heard in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. And I want to remind our listeners, if you have comments on the show, comments on what you've heard or suggestions for topics that you'd like to hear us talk about in future episodes, send us an email, hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. That's it for show number 2030. Next week, in honor of the 30th anniversary of the passing of the Americans with Disabilities Act, we will be talking about just that. The ADA was a pivotal point in codifying the rights which all disabled people are afforded in the U.S. We'll speak with Tim Elder, a blind disability rights attorney, about the long journey in recognizing the rights of the disabled, developing the current law, and why the journey is not yet done. So we hope you'll join us next week for that episode. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy, and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.